Let me tell you of the days of high adventure. What's up, everybody? I'm John. And I'm Kevin. And this is Six Degrees of Schwarzenegger, the podcast where we take a long, hard look at some of our favorite action movies from the era of Arnold. Schwarzenegger is the icon of the genre, and we're taking a deep dive into some of these 80s and 90s cult action movies and breaking them all the way down. We're going to get into the nitty and the gritty and examine the good, the bad, the ugly, and the laughable in these movies. But... We're always coming from a place of love. You don't watch these movies as much as we have unless you have a genuine affection for them. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome. <laughs> welcome one. Welcome all. We're excited to be back with a brand new series here. We're also excited to uh, be joined by those of you listening on the Last of the Action Heroes podcast network. Hey, guys. Yeah, we're, we're thrilled to be a part of it. We're glad that, um, that we weren't kicked out of the network. <laughs> that after, we haven't embarrassed ourselves too they, much. After they heard some of our uh, opinions of Stallone. <laughs> yeah, um, I would apologize, but I'm not sorry. Yeah, so if you're listening on the podcast network and you, and you like what you hear... Uh, Go check out our old feed on our own Six Degrees of Schwarzenegger channel. A lot of old, uh, amazing stuff there that we're working on adding to the network. And then if you're listening to us on our own feed, check out the podcast network. They got stuff on Stallone. They got uh, Bruce Willis, Dolph Lundgren love, James Bond love, so uh, Steven Seagal love. So there's just all sorts of generic uh, action awesomeness going <laughs> on over there. And uh, thanks to those guys for letting us be a part of all the fun. Yeah. Um, and thanks to all of their fans for, for taking the six degrees ride with us as well. Um, yeah. As Kevin said, um, it's going to be a wild and bumpy ride. We're doing a, a movie that was familiar, but not overly familiar to either of us. Um, something I think that was maybe on the periphery, but maybe more so just because I was, you know, eight and thought that the movie poster looked cool. Um, but this is not something that was heavy in the, the rotation at our family. And I think that that's mostly because my grandmother didn't own the, the VHS <laughs> she didn't tape. Have this, there weren't enough muscle, like there wasn't enough muscle porn going on in this one for, right. for your grandma. We're going to do a Schwarzenegger's 1986 offering raw deal. Uh, yeah, I, I hadn't really watched this. I mean, you mentioned the poster. I can't even picture yeah. it. Was it him in a tank top? It's just him in like a tank top with his hair slicked back holding a machine gun hey, of some kind. That's all you That's all you need. <laughs> yes. You got me. It checks so many boxes. <laughs> <laughs> this is for sure on the the lesser known, the lower prominence yeah. Schwarzenegger movies from that like Conan through, you know, True Lies Definitely. era. Definitely. Um, yeah, so it's not in, it's not in that wheelhouse at all. It's sort of like B-level Schwarzenegger yeah, stuff. This, this one in, in Red Heat, I feel like fall in that category. Yeah, Another Belushi. One. And I never really watched Red Sonja, but that was on TBS all the time, I think. Yeah, I wonder how, like, who was in charge of programming those, like, this movie's great. 
Red Sonia? Yeah, the Red Sonia needed to be on there, but <laughs> but like this one didn't need to be on yeah, there. Yeah. I still haven't seen Red Sonia, so I look uh, forward to the day that we do that that's one. That's gonna be another well, yeah. The next time we're thinking about doing another sword and sorcery, that's gonna have to be one. And that movie's so weird. I wish we were talking about it. But we're it, but we're <laughs> we'll not. We're talking there. about raw deal. We'll get there. <laughs> so tell, let's talk about like Who's in this? How did, like, who's directing it? Who's in the production team? Like, what's going on? This, I feel like, is a, like a, a horde of lesser known yeah. people behind the scenes on this one. Uh, directed by a guy named John Irwin. The only other thing that I recognized from his IMDb credits as a director was, and I don't know if you ever saw it, but they there was a pre- um, Prince of Thieves, or maybe it was even, maybe it even came around the same time, but there was a Robin Hood movie made, and I, for the life of me, can't remember the name of the actor that played Robin Hood. He, at the time, was pretty, I think, famous-ish, but Uma okay. Thurman played a young Marion. I recall that. I'm I'm going to look it up now because I'm curious. Yeah. And I remember it, and it was like a, yeah, it was a weird... Uh, not an A-lister. No, it was a guy that, yeah, he was, I think, just probably one of those guys that was re- well known as being like an actor's actor or something like that. But it was like unusual for him to be a huge star in this movie. Patrick Bergen. That's it. As Sir Robert Hode, a.k.a. Robin Hood. Yeah. Jürgen Prochnow has uh, <laughs> some character in it, not even uh, Sheriff Nottingham or anything like that. Not many notable names on this thing. Yeah, I remember renting movies and the trailer for that movie being in like the opening, like the you know after the Pizza Hut commercial. <laughs> is that an up? Is that an upgrade or a downgrade from Raw Deal for Irwin? Um, I think that anything with Schwarzenegger at this time is an upgrade. Yeah. I think that this was good for was the Was he cr- a full-on A-lister in 86? I have no idea. Irwin? He pro- no, no, I mean Schwarzenegger. Oh, Schwarzenegger? I think he had that come he, off commando at that point. He was about to be. That's, that's the thing is that I think that there were enough people that could see the writing on the wall, I think. The that, potential? Yeah, they could see the writing on the wall, the potential for greatness in Schwarzenegger, and that this movie was like... We just got to make it. We got to get the com- like the country <laughs> and the, the international movie-going audience to be on board with this guy. This is the guy. There is always that like a lag in the you have a big breakthrough like a Commando, I think, and yeah. then there's the movies that you had in the pipeline already uh-huh. that you totally. can't get yeah, out yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he put out this in like Red Heat, and then he came back with Predator. Even, and that, I feel like Predator is the one that I really launched him. Yeah, definitely. But even thinking about like Arnold in terms of Arnold the performer, Arnold the actor, and you you have talked about this and sort of opened my eyes up to it, and I'm, I'm more cognizant now when I watch these movies. But like this is one of the ones where you're watching Arnold try to figure it out on camera. Yeah, how to play a and, human being. And like then you watch him in things like Predator, and it was like I can't imagine anyone else in that role. I mean, yeah. there are so many people that could do it probably, but it's like, it's so iconic that you don't want to. And he learned to let his like charisma shine through. Yeah. Cause he was a charismatic guy. But yeah, you think about his stuff before this, uh, I mean, commando was probably his first real attempt yeah. at acting. Yeah. And it was hit or miss. All that matters to me is Jenny. Jenny. 
Uh, anyway, what we're trying to tell you, intrepid <laughs> listeners, is that we didn't know who John Irwin yes. was, okay? Okay. And I still don't. No. Nope. Um, so I'll let you, since you have a, a greater mastery of the Italian uh, yeah, lexicon, so we, I'll let we, you name these writers. We have some story credits by some heavy hitters from the Spaghetti Western era. Is that what they're from? Yeah. Luciano Vincenzoni wrote The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, No Big Deal. Wow. And Sergio Donati wrote a movie called Once Upon a Time in the West, No Big Deal. Shit. Yeah. So these dudes had clout in Italy. Yeah. So I, I th- wonder if this was a remake of an Italian I wondered thing. that too and could not find the answer. Then I also wondered, like, um, was it supposed to be? Like, was it supposed to have been something else in, like, was it supposed to have been a Western or something else yeah. that, that ended up getting repurposed? It does feel like uh, there was some heavy rewriting and rewriting of rewrites going on in this thing um as far as screenplay goes gary devore who i didn't recognize a single other thing that the guy was in Uh, and then norman wexler who wrote uh, or had writing credits for serpico and saturday night fever okay so he he had chops i feel like he was was probably the d'souza type that they went to like get in and like try to (laughs) punch that up up. a little bit um, music by Chris Boardman, who has tons of great music department credits, including Payback, Color Purple, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, and yeah. Total Recall. But yeah, a lot of orchestrator and arranger credits. What does that mean? So you take the themes that this guy wrote and you Correct. flesh them out? Correct. So Danny Elfman, from what I understand, is not a great anything but a theme writer. He comes up with a nugget of an idea, and then he hands it to his music department and and other people do the the busy work, the important work of being like, what instruments do we want to play this? Okay. How do we want that theme to evolve and so on and so forth? I also think about a movie, like any movie really, from a Star Wars to a whatever, where it'll be like three or four themes. And then that theme will be sprinkled through half a dozen pieces of music in the movie. And I wonder like, does John Williams... Did he sit and write each of those six pieces or did someone take his themes and I think, use them in different ways? I'm I'm not sure. If I had to guess, I would say that early on in his career that he was writing every note. Uh-huh. Maybe once it got to a certain point, he had a staff that he felt comfortable enough delegating to. But yeah, I would say that probably early on he was that man was writing every note for every part that's amazing because i think that he's like a for real composer i was recently for whatever reason i was studying um james horner yeah and he would do like six movies a year or something and it's like you can't you can't i don't know that a person could write it'd be like uh when whoever john grisham or who are some of those other dudes yeah that are like you're not writing five books a year patterson yeah it's like you're giving up you're giving an outline to a ghost writer and they're turning it into a full-blown book that's basically there was a really really interesting thing on a 2020 or something like that a few years back about james patterson like now the dream is to be like on the cover of the novel is huge and then way down at the bottom it says with so and so yeah and it's like that's the guy that did the grunt work of that's course. the guy that wrote the book yeah. yeah so maybe that's what boardman was doing on some other uh, for other people one other thing on boardman i noticed he's he had done this soundtrack for the uh tales from the crypt movie bordello of blood <laughs> i was like <laughs> fucking weird i forgot about this <laughs> 
<laughs> those Tales from the Crypt movies they tried to do. Yeah, there was that wild. one in Demon Knight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of them had Dennis Miller as like a lead. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking weird. Um, produced by Dino De Laurentiis and Martha yeah. De Laurentiis. The whole crew, there was like a lot of the crew was filled with Italian names, yeah. which is like it was a half Italian, half American. That's very interesting. I think. And then a very Italian movie as far as the plot is concerned, like the, the mob involvement. Yeah, edited by Ann Coates. I just, you know, sometimes you just got to make that paper. Even she when you're just, a legend. She was fresh. This is what she did just before Masters of the Universe. Wow. It was like, what but yeah, time. she'd also done, you know, Lawrence of Arabia. And I, I had jotted down. She did, as you mentioned, I think on our previous series, Elephant yeah. Man. Yeah. Amazing. She had done In the Line of Fire, Aaron Brockovich, like ton, multiple Oscar nominations. Yep. She did. She won a, like an honorary Oscar and. 2017 well then you sit i sit and wonder thinking about the movies that come out mm -hmm. you know the like this movie and thinking like how much worse would this movie have been had ann coates not been like in there on the in on the yeah, in the editing room like her gentle touch <laughs> making that. sure that things that things are passable at best i had just watched the movie congo yeah the michael crichton book that was in the post jurassic park when they made a movie out of everything he'd ever written yeah and that movie is god awful, but she she edited that one as well. I remember watching that movie multiple times, like one of those weekends where HBO would be free, like yeah, the, yeah. and <laughs> and like just watching that movie like six times and being like, yeah, it's not great, but it's fun. It's, it's still pretty something fun. weird. There's a there's a gorilla skydiving in the movie. That's all. <laughs> that's all you need to know about Congo. <laughs> it's on Netflix now, and you can watch a gorilla skydive. So. <laughs> I recommend it. Tim Curry's a he's a frothing maniac like sort of in that a movie. generically like Soviet block. Yeah. Uh greedy dude and yeah. Ernie Hudson playing like British. Though there was a scene with Tim Curry and Ernie Hudson acting against each other, and I'm like, this is entertaining to watch because yeah. these are two like masters of their craft. Absolutely. Working together and like yeah, and then there's just like so much wasted potential. I remember liking the the Crichton book, but yeah, they. Yeah, I never read Congo, read Jurassic Park, and others, but that one's not one that I ever. Right after Jurassic Park killed it, they like did movies of Congo and Sphere and Rising yeah, yeah, Sun, yeah, yeah, like anything he'd ever written. They were. I like, will say one that they that they kind of hit out of the ballpark, and just that they made a really entertaining movie was Thirteenth Warrior. I the, never watched the that original one. Eaters of the Dead. Eaters of the Dead. Yeah. Was it Beowulf? It was. Yeah, a retelling of Beowulf from the from the standpoint of a fictional Arab character that was like for some reason their guide. Was uh, it Banderas? It was Banderas playing, playing an, an Arab. Arab? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Ibn Fadlan was his name. It was good though. Yeah, it was I entertaining. Never watched it. it was really entertaining. I, some good director directed it, but I can't remember who. I can't remember either. It was a retelling. It was an original work. It wasn't. Like yeah. he took it and and changed the point of view. It, he was, yeah, it was it. It was as basically as if a 13th century Arab warrior scholar had written the Beowulf legend. Okay, so interesting. Yeah, it was very very interesting. I just looked it up. 13th Warrior, directed by John McTiernan. Hey, that's, that's why it's so good. <laughs> I, apparently, I need to watch it. Yeah, you should check it out because it is it is action packed and awesome and a a very interesting retelling of the Beowulf legend, which now I'm kind of itching to go back and reread that. Yeah, it makes me excited too about the uh, Gawain and the Green Knight movie that's coming oh, out. Oh, fuck. That's going to be awesome. Wait, we should go see that. Different than Green Knight? 
or the one that's the out green now, night. the one yeah, that just it's, came it's, out. It's based on Gawain and the Green Knight. Yeah, night. dude. Yeah. We should go see that. If you feel comfortable sitting in a movie theater, I feel fine sitting okay. in a movie theater. As long as we're sitting in the back with masks on. Well, we I don't should care. make a reservation because I want to see the fuck Let's out of it. Let's do it. Okay. Yeah. Um, the cast of this movie Schwarzenegger, Yay. obviously. Our, our uh, burgeoning star. We love you. Our, uh, what's the word? Or not debutante. It's uh, um, ingenue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ingenue, Schwarzenegger. Definitely, at this point in his career. Other guys who you would recognize in this movie, Robert Davi. Yeah, that's Jake Fratelli from The Goonies. Fratelli, Special Agent Johnson. One of two Johnsons from Die Die Hard. Hard. (laughs) But he always delivers. He's got a look to him like an intensity. Ah, he's so recognizable as soon as you see him. I feel like he's a dude who in real life would be hilarious. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. Even though he's always playing a super serious dude. Uh, Darren McGavin. That's Mr. Parker, the dad from Christmas Story. That's the old man, <laughs> the yeah, old man. from Christmas Story. Amazing to watch him yeah. do anything else. Playing a, a character named Harry Shannon uh-huh. of, the, of the Bureau. That's a- we had Catherine Harold. Never heard of her. Monique, the pseudo quasi love interest right. in the film. Um, Sam Wanamaker plays the Mafia Don. I went back and like he had a decades spanning career and I couldn't place him just because the Uh IMDB photo is like an older photo. But then I, when I saw him on screen, I was like, I recognize him from tons of other things. And and he he was like one of those working actors. Yeah. Tons of TV credits. That makes sense. And then there was, um, this actor, Paul Shinar playing, uh, Roca. Yeah, Paolo, the, I, the only other thing I recognize him was Sosa from Scarface. Scarface. Yeah, that same, same. So uh, I guess we can <laughs> navigate our way towards the film, <laughs> the film itself. Yeah. There's a movie to discuss. You guys are going to love it. Trust yeah, me. Yeah, man. So um opens up with that De Laurentiis Entertainment Group uh, I logo. I like their logo. Which that I'm line? like, that's yeah. a, yeah, that's a, like a sign of quality in the day. Um, we get this Amtrak train. Down. Yeah, dude, the soundtrack came in hard. Yeah. Uh, the Amtrak train is like rolling into the station. It's like pulling towards the camera. My first thoughts was that it had like a cool 80s sort of gritty look to it. Agreed. It also made me want to go on an Amtrak trip. Yeah. I want to ride that Chicago to Seattle. You should. I've through. ridden, I've ridden a stretch of that that trip before yeah. and it's awesome is that you went through glacier park on that yep. ride i stayed like stayed just outside of glacier on that trip but picked up right outside like just west of madison wisconsin and okay. took it all the way to the door like literally east glacier and like west glacier yeah. just on the other side it was awesome. amazing it was amazing yeah i've been to the train stations when i've been at glacier but i i want to ride the train it seems like a great way to just watch the country yeah. go by but um, as you say yeah it definitely like the atmosphere picks up like I love movies in train stations anyway, but this okay. there's definitely with that low, like ominous low sense, like first thing that uh-huh. happens. And then you're in the train station was awesome. It had, there was something like a little diehardish to me to the uh-huh. cinematography. Like it was lens flares and stuff like that. Now we get a, like a well-dressed man in a slick suit. He was credited in the credits as dangerous man. I think that's awesome. That's a killer. <laughs> that's a killer credit. Uh, he's walking around the station I thought he had a killer look to yeah, him. Yeah, and all well, and also so he's in this like sharp '80s cut m- suit, and the music as soon as you see him like bebopping through the train station starts to kick in. It's like very '80s task. It's like it's like all. Was it like Faltermeyer-ish? It's a little bit Faltermeyer-ish. Yeah. 
And then he's joined by like another sort of frumpier dressed man. Although he looked like a poet or like a novelist living in New England or some he, shit to He's me. wearing like a trilby and a twill, like big window pane check jacket uh-huh. and a sweater vest or some shit. Honestly, though, like when I saw him, I was like, that's the shit I could see John wearing that. Because it is kind of like... <laughs> Totally. It's a hipsterish look too, and like kind of. Cool. What are you saying, my good man? No, it's kind of no, like I, I one hundred. What I saw that guy, a person I was could like, look cool wearing yeah. that stuff, or you could look like a a professor at a New England private could university. Not, could not agree with you more. I was digging the vibe. <laughs> um, elsewhere, there's a motorboat just cruising through a, like a harbor in a foggy city skyline. Just two randos on the boat. It's, it's a very cool a, shot. Again, I was like, wow, that's cool. That's a good like interesting shot. The water looked yeah. beautiful. The city looked cool. I feel like a fog, I feel like wrecked a lot of shots throughout this movie, as mm-hmm. we'll see. Like, I feel like we were supposed to see a skyline there and it was fogged in that day. Right. But that's what happens. I think when you're doing like a low budget film, right? So cut back to that frumpier looking man we saw earlier. He's now at a small airport where a helicopter is coming into land. Is he coming or is he going like, it's apropos of nothing. No. This scene, like, we don't see anything. It feels a little bit like the open to Commando, where it's yeah, just like... that's exactly what I thought. Where it's like, this is just bad guys doing bad shit. Yep. We don't really know <laughs> what it is yet. The troops are mustering. That's all we know. Okay. So, we got a station wagon with Washington State tags cruising down this gravel road in the woods. I don't know if we're meant to think that it's in Washington State. Yeah. Somewhere, it's just generic That wilderness. was sort of the vibe, yeah, that I... Got as well. So this thing parks. Frumpy man gets out. He's got a rifle with a silencer and a scope. Badass shit. Not at all what I thought that Frumpy man would pull out of the car. But you said once before, like that there's something so sinister about a silencer. Yeah. You know, someone's about to get like hosed. Like this is not just carrying a weapon for looks like because I plan to shoot this thing and I don't want anyone to hear me. No deer will be shot today when the (laughs) silencer is on that gun. (laughs) And also, you have to, like, silencers on rifles. Like, I don't care, like, that fucks up the accuracy of the weapon. Does it? Yeah. Unless you're close, I guess. Yeah, unless you're closer. So, yeah, there's going to be violence (laughs) incurred on someone. So, he sneaks up on an armed man, sort of taking a smoke break on a dock by a lake. Yep. Uh, That man tries to pull a pistol out of his holster, but Frumpy Man shoots him and kills him. We really don't know what's going on no, yet. No clue. At this point. Um, it's like you said, bad guys doing bad guy things. So back at the car, dangerous man and a couple more like heavy hitter goon type guys get out of the car. They've got guns. Shotguns, Uzis, dangerous man's got a gun. <laughs> like, I love thinking about the life of movie goons. <laughs> Like, both the goon characters, but also, like, the actors who made a living playing goons. Yeah. Because you're, you're just... You're a big guy. Yeah. Can you hold a weapon? It's, like, generic six-foot-three heavy set. Yeah. You know, you know how to stage fight. You know how to handle a gun or take a fall. Absolutely. Like, you could make a living doing that back and in this they day. Did. It's awesome. And then, and then one day you end up, you're Alan Graff, and you're, like, doing... Yeah. Like, second director shoots for the rest of your life it's in awesome. stunt coordination. You can make a Badass. living if you're good at it and a professional, Hell I think. Yeah. Hell yeah. Um, so Dangerous Man, he, he's just said, he's got the... He's, <laughs> I love that we're called a Dangerous Man. He's got it's a badass. pistol and a radio. Uh, frumpy Man approaches this cabin, shoots another armed man who's sort of standing lookout. Yeah, like... Shitty lookouts. Yeah. 
Yeah. They keep 100. getting snuck up on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And he, anyway, the frumpy man, he radios back to, to uh, Dangerous Man. Says, green light. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. What do these anonymous goons, what are they doing when they're not just like silently supporting a more prominent bad guy? Yeah. Are they, they like, have lives? They have families. There's security at small diners where mob meetings take place and sitting around in bars and titty bars. I would I would think that yeah they're like enforcers. These are the guys that are enforcers that that are like traveling through the neighborhood collecting a ah. mafia boss's dues. And they the have money. families and stuff. They're like yeah. middle. No, they're not even middle management. They're like the lower class of goon. They're somewhere in between. But yeah. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> it is. It's so, crazy to think about the hierarchy of a mafia organization. Especially you never, the goons, it's hard to imagine them in any setting other than just being a silent goon. Because if you had compared, if you compared this to like the Godfather, I would say that dangerous man is, um, Luca, Luca Brazzi is, or something. No, not even Luca. Luca Brazzi, I would say is probably one of these guys. Except for Luca Brazzi was like your the Lou Gehrig of your of your, <laughs> of your enforcer guys. So who is this? It is then? Uh, was it Polly the the fat one? The oh yeah, bring the, the, gun, the like the capos. Bring the cannoli. Yeah, I think that that dangerous man is a capo. Okay, and that and that yeah, these other definitely. guys are just like soldiers. Enforcers. Yes, exactly, soldiers. Thank okay. you. Okay, yeah, it's amazing. So inside this lakefront cabin, we've got a couple of uh, bored dudes playing Trivial Pursuit. Oh, that genus one. <laughs> <laughs> the question was, how many times was John Wayne nominated for Academy Award? And the, the dude responds, probably not enough. Uh, it's like, I feel like that's the viewpoint of the screenwriters. It's like, <laughs> this is a dude. There was an era where like this was this is a movie made for John Wayne fans. I feel like, though, definitely like my dad. Love that shit. But do you every um, John Wayne movie? He knew him. He knew them all. It's interesting though to think about. I guess at the time, people probably watched John Wayne movies and bemoaned the violence in them. In some yeah. of them, even though it's sort it, of bloodless violence for yeah, the most part. And then you watch this, and it's like ultra violence, and you know, in Panavision, it's like in living uh-huh. color. <laughs> um, now in the cabin, another guy walks in and says, "Marcelino is still asleep." Uh, it becomes kind of clear, I think, through the dialogue that these men are agents. They're standing guard over like a star witness. Yeah. One of the guys is like, how much sleep does a guy or like what, you know, like how does he how is he keeping himself asleep that long? And then the guy that comes out of the room says fear. So you get the, okay. the feeling that something is following. And they're like, Marcelino. As long as he's there to testify, you know, or something. So we get the impression he's like, yeah, he's a mob witness. Yeah, but he's exactly. a stoolie. <laughs> <laughs> um, now. An agent goes to open the door to the cabin and one of those heavy hitters blows him away with a shotgun. Dude, he shot that 12 gauge one handed. <laughs> he had I, it like extended like a pistol. Man, could not. I'm, I'm sure I could, but it wouldn't have it wouldn't have hit anything. <laughs> that gun would jump right out of your hand. Yeah. I think. Um, <laughs> same, they, same guy pulls an Uzi out, starts shooting up the place, mowing down agents. All those guys that were just playing games are now like strewn about the floor so with bullet holes. Dangerous man and the other uh, dude, they toss a grenade in the back door and then just Fucking come in shooting. Hell, yeah. Uh, man, the dudes were well-dressed for this type of work. It was like three Hans Grubers and no <laughs> Carl. <laughs> They're well-dressed, well-financed. Very slick. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, they kill all the agents. They kick down the bedroom door, kill the last agent who was in there standing guard. Well, and I love that the, the last agent shooting his gun, like... <laughs> 
from the, somewhere from between b- from between hip and boob, like just holding <laughs> it and as he's shooting it, it kind of just points up in the air. It's like some weird was, action. It happening. was pretty awful. Yeah, it was pretty. Uh, it was pretty bad. They grab a cowering Marcelino. Yeah, he's kind of whimpering on the floor in his skivvies in his tall socks. He had like the socks, the black <laughs> yes. socks, hiked all the way up. Man, I don't know why he's in his underwear. I guess it was nap time. Like yeah, he'd been sleeping. Um, so some dudes in there just watching him sleep. Kind of yeah. creepy. Well, there'd been two men in there watching him sleep until a moment ago, if we remember. And then also he like as the bad guys are coming in, he's speaking some like broken Italian he's like let uh-huh. me die like like shatami morire like <laughs> let me just let me go and die you know he seems to be throughout the course of this movie he seems to be the only mafia guy who's actually Italian right um but yeah he's he's there was like a goddamn bunk bed in there that was kind of funny to me. But I'm like, maybe this is a cabin. It's a fun that, cabin. It's like, yeah, maybe that was the way the cabin came furnished. Like, it was a rental. It was a rental. Yeah. Exactly. They say, uh, you know, we've been looking for you. You want to be a witness? Witness this. And then in one of the most cold-blooded like kills I've ever seen in a movie, they put him in front of a mirror and make him watch as they shoot him in the back of the head. It, I thought about number one, like if, like making someone watch themselves get shot, they're not going to see it. I guess you'd be if dead you shoot instantly. Them right, you would die instantly. Like, think of like, if, if you did that shit and slit someone's throat, though, that would be some fucked up shit, oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah, that would be some, the, the stuff of nightmares. Yeah. Because dude. then they just have no choice but to sit and just like, uh, oh, I don't know. It was still pretty brutal. You might, maybe you're, a, maybe you're like alive for a second. I don't yeah, know. Those syn- the last few synapses are firing in oh, the last, oh, that's, yeah, brutal. that's sad. Brutal. It was an it was interesting way to awesome. think about think about dying. Yeah, for real. I've never seen that in another movie, and I, I, I wonder why not. Because it's pretty fucking effective. It's crazy too. Dangerous man is insane. So, sometime later, the cabin is full of like policemen and forensics guys are crawling right. all over the place. The all female EMT team. Yeah, <laughs> there was this like weird. It, it happens throughout the Love movie, that. but there's this weird fisheye like lens mm-hmm. yeah, sort yeah. of thing that was. It happened in a lot of movies back in the day i was watching um jackie chan's police story mm-hmm. on criterion recently and they oh cool i think it's when you have an anamorphic lens it looks great when you're aimed at a stationary thing but when you start panning you get a weird effect there's a soderbergh movie that just dropped on hbo max called no sudden move with like a cavalcade of awesome oh actors. yeah 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 don yeah. Cheadle it looks and, um, amazing it's a it's a it takes place in detroit in like the 50s or yeah 60s it's like or a it's sort of a noirish thing mm-hmm. Um, Benicio del Toro yes, and Don Cheadle. We love Benicio. Um, and I started watching it. I didn't get too far into it before I had to quit, but it was like embracing that fisheye look. That's cool. Um, and I'm like, oh, I haven't seen this in a while because I feel like you learn how to avoid that look, but he's leaning into it. So I got to get back to it. For sure. So yeah, we've got those EMTs. They're wheeling bodies out of there. This is where we're introduced to Agent Harry Shannon. That's Darren McGavin, mm-hmm. who we mentioned. He's weeping over one of the bodies. It would have been his birthday next week. <laughs> it's his Bumpuses! <laughs> it's his son uh, who was killed there. Harry says he wants a list of everyone who knew where they were hiding Marcelino. Is this how policing works? I mean, that part <laughs> maybe, but they're dead. Whoever set this up, whatever it takes, they're dead. You're like, dude, don't okay. say that in front of witnesses. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> we have, we have, yeah, no. That was not a great look for our man, uh, Harry Shannon. No. But, um, so now it's just like a smash cut to this, like. <laughs> this is nuts. Dino De Laurentiis presents in big red font. 
is fucking amazing to me. And it's like playing over this. It becomes awesome a very, song. A very it, it, it becomes, uh, and you had the new like Dukes of Hazard, Smokey and the Bandit vibe happening. There's a yeah, a dude in full motorcycle gear on a motorcycle bike, like, like a, a motorcycle dirt bike. cop. Yeah, being chased by a jeep on a rural highway. Yeah, the music is killing it. It was this song "One Way Rider" by Ricky Skaggs. Oh, I didn't know it was Ricky Skaggs. Who That's is badass. he? Is he a known commodity? He, he is an like a legend in bluegrass. I'm going to download the shit out of that song because it was a killer the, song. You should download the shit out of everything that's His a catalog? Skaggs. Yeah, a Ricky Skaggs. You would love Ricky Skaggs. You should go back and listen to <laughs> Like, Ricky Skaggs is one of the, like, he's in the pantheon of famous American bluegrass okay. musicians. I Check love the song. And the way the song was working with the action, it was like smoking a bandit. You would shit. dig the shit out of, of his output. Like You can drive to that music. Hell yeah. Uh, <laughs> So we've got Sheriff Mark Kaminsky. That's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm -hmm. He's the guy driving the Jeep. Um, I guess we don't really know that he's police or what the fuck is going yeah, on at this like moment. Watching, watching this through with fresh eyes, like with no recollection of this movie, I was like, are they friends? And they're just having like a friendly car, like police Yeah, you're not used chase? to seeing the police getting chased right. by the it's whatever. A, it's a strange turn. So... Uh, he comes to a bridge and there's this truck hauling a boat that forces Kaminsky and his Jeep like into the guardrail. Never mind. Just grind that shit and that keep going. Fucking asshole is driving in the middle of the road, the guy with the boat. Yeah. Fucker. Um <laughs> the, the motorcycle, it turns off of the highway and onto like a gravel road. The Jeep follows. Yeah, I gotta say, I love car chases and I oh, love yeah. rural car chases. It is yeah, that's There's what so I have in here fun. is like so smoky in the band. Yeah. This shit, which made me want to watch Smokey and the Bandit. Yeah, me too, so me too, fun. me too. Um, that bike was, as you said, I think it was a, basically a dirt bike. It was very small. Yeah, it was not like a police cruiser. Yeah, I've never actually seen a policeman driving a bike that was small like that. No. This was a different era, but anyway. <laughs> uh, the chase continues through this like... It's like a logging yard or a lumber yeah, yard or like, something like that. it was like maybe railroad ties yeah. or something like that. It was amazing location though yeah it was very it cinematic did, it did well everything about it made me then think about like the washington plates earlier and i was like is this supposed to take place in a like in yeah. the same place but it makes me it made me feel like pacific northwest like really? that vibe so with logging always makes me think pacific northwest i know they filmed these bits in north carolina there you go well that makes sense um and i i think maybe that's where it is supposed to be this sure. part of the movie like later on we see i think his car pull up and he's got carolina plates okay there i you don't go. know if that's the shit they're paying attention to or not though but i will say like there was amazing shots in this yeah. sequence like this director john Irwin, has got a good eye for how to stage the action and get these cool effective like, shots uh the motorcycle drives up on top of one of the stacks of railroad ties that's it was dope. awesome stuff um he does this sweet like jump across a gap between the things as the Jeep is driving through the gap it's below awesome. him. Yeah. All, the, all of this stunt work is very, very cool. And it, to think about the amount of time they needed to set everything up where they could get those shots is nuts. And it paired really well with the music. Yeah. It was just like fun. You're just, at, it's impossible not to be having a good time while you're watching this. And then part. also you think this is a great way to eat up about, Four minutes worth of screen time yeah. without Schwarzenegger ever needing to say a word. And I feel like they were sneaking the credits in during all yeah, this as yeah. well. Um, 
Kaminsky seems to be running out of patience. Like he's getting sort of frustrated with he, all this. He's mouthing bad words. <laughs> so the biker, he jumps the um, motorcycle off the pile of railroad ties and crashes it through like a, a three rail fence, mm-hmm. which I feel like would have wrecked the bike. Yeah. That guy's butt. not going to make it. Yeah. You just top fuck up your fuck <laughs> up your wheel. So Kaminsky, he chases on. They're going through a cornfield or some shit. I feel like also the Jeep would catch up to the bike pretty quickly, like driving through the corn stalls. I would think. But it doesn't. Uh, the motorcycle, it reaches a dirt road on the other end of the field. The pursuit continues. We come to like a fork in the road. The motorcycle continues on one way. The Jeep stops. Kaminsky gives sort of like a little smirk. He knows the back way. <laughs> yeah, he knows something. So he takes the other fork in the road. The biker, who's in like full motorcycle cop right, uniform. Right, right, right. He seems to think that he's lost uh, his his chaser, his pursuer. Right. He slows down. We see Kaminsky stopped on the side of the road beside this sort of picturesque lake. He's returning to his Jeep holding a gas can. And I, and this is where I start to wonder is like, any did Arnold's just like, what if he's smoking a cigar here? Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> he, like, he does. Lights, he puts he a cigar in his a mouth. cigar and smokes it as he's like walking back towards the road. I feel like that was the genesis of the, the, you just picture Arnold with a big cigar in his mouth. Always. And it's that was so, like, yeah. I don't, it was, yeah. It, he, you know, he embraces it throughout this film and in later films as well. It's awesome. Um, but yeah, he lights that cigar and then, Instantly, like as the biker's driving by, he tosses the cigar into this lake of gasoline that he's poured out. Right, makes a big fireball. It's a waste of a cigar, <laughs> right? Could have done it with a match, but yeah. So yeah, the biker he goes through those flames and he crashes. All right, cut to Kaminsky's driving up to the police station. He's got that captive riding shotgun in the jeep. Right. Uh, Kaminsky's telling the deputies, you know, I caught him in the act. Oh no, I was on my way to a costume party. Bullshit. If that was true, like that was some like Comic Con level cosplay, because that was like actually a pretty good excuse. I thought I was like, oh, I'm just on my way. I'm not impersonating an officer. What are you talking about? (laughs) It's a costume. So Kaminsky, he tells the deputies or whatever that he was. This guy was pulling people over and shaking them down for money. Genius. Yeah, Uh, but also terrifying. Like that shit's crazy because there have been um, like violent incidences where guys like pulled over women and stuff oh really like, yeah like dressed as cops it's crazy some creepy shit yep so he says uh commence to book him impersonating an officer resisting arrest fraud reckless driving and lying to the sheriff it's <laughs> <laughs> like somebody <laughs> i i mentioned it to you before we started doing this but somebody had tweeted something the other day about how it's nuts that just as a community we've sort of agreed to look past Arnold's accent and just accept that this hulking Austrian is like a small time sheriff or a cyborg. This is America. Whatever. I love where that your show. wildest dreams can come true. And you know, if it's a good story, you don't notice that type no. of shit. You're like, all right, now I can, I can accept and that. Again, Arnold's so lovable that it's like, you're, you're willing to forgive a multitude of sins. <laughs> so Kaminsky tells the deputies that he's going home. This heavy set deputy towering over the fake cop. Yeah, that dude's huge. Come on, deputy dog. Yeah. And uh, yeah, those deputies were massive. They were both bigger than Arnold. Yep. There's a lot of that in this movie casting of other actors that make Arnold look normal sized. Which, which is, is hard. a mistake. I think, yeah, you yeah. know, you want to cast small guys. But anyway, Kaminsky, he's rolling up to his home inside 
his wife Amy is like got some classical music cranked. <laughs> yeah. She's in there. She's decorating a cake and just chugging yeah, like she's brown liquor. Like looking forlorn. As soon as she hears his voice, you get the vibe that she's not feeling it. She's not excited to hear him come home. In my mind, I'm thinking like, man, baking a cake and just getting a shithouse sounds, like sounds, yeah, sounds, re- uh, sounds like a fun pandemic. Sounds like a fun pandemic weekend. Agreed. But uh, that actress is Blanche Baker. Her mom uh, is an actress named Carol Baker who played the evil grandmom in Kindergarten Cop, the one who okay. shot oh, Schwarzenegger. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, I just thought that was weird. Uh, Where's my grandson? <laughs> Kaminsky, he mutes that music. He goes and finds Amy in the kitchen. Right. We have to talk about how he's dressed. Like he is the brawny paper towel guy. Exactly. Yeah. Red flannel and jeans. And she's wearing head to toe like pink. Mm hmm. You know, it is. It's very like she (laughs) looks like her. Her name would be Betty, the housewife or whatever. Yeah. It's like some Mad Men shit. Yeah. When he like stands there and crosses his arms. It's like, I, you know what you're doing, right? Like, right. you know that this is like a, a corporate uh, trademark. Totally. <laughs> but um, he sees her, like, she's putting icing on the cake. He asks her if they're about to have a party. She, she's like, it's a weird scene. She's like, yeah, it's a good thing you're home early to celebrate. He's like, Who are, who's coming over? She says, it's just us. She's fucking wasted. Yeah. Um, she says they're celebrating their fifth year of sort of exile in this podunk town. Yeah, she is wasty face and she's like slings the spreading knife with uh-huh. the icing all over <laughs> it, like into a laundry basket by accident. I feel somewhat bad for her because she seems like she's got no friends and no what, but that's kind of also on her, I guess. Yeah. Anyway, he says like, you know, don't worry, this is not forever. She's not convinced. Five years is a long time. Yeah. Five years so. is a really long time to, to keep hearing this is not going to be forever. Yeah. If it that's yeah, that's like, what the fuck? We get a little bit of exposition here. We got Kaminsky saying, you know, I did the best I could. This was my only option. She says, you could have stayed with the Bureau, the Bureau, the okay, generic the federal bureau. people are here. <laughs> they, she, he could have fought the accusations and they could still be living in New York. There's a lot of a lot to unpack in just a couple of sentences. First of all, so. So he could have fought some accusations, whatever those are. Uh-huh. They were living in New York. He did the best he could. And this is the only option. So like, it's like after he hit the bricks from being with the Bureau for whatever he was accused of while they were living in New York. Yeah. Like he was able still to land a you, sheriff's position. Is there like a database, like open law enforcement jobs? Yeah, like a, a magazine. I mean, or honestly, a if you're if you're run out of the bureau in disgrace, it seems like you should probably be disqualified from other law enforcement jobs. Or maybe he had some favors he could call in. I don't I guess know. So anyway. anyway, he's he's saying you know, I'm lucky they let me resign. If I if I hadn't if I'd gone to trial, I would have lost and I'd been fired and I would have even had the chance to get this job. Say so they're they're. Living room is beautiful. Like whatever yeah. he's making a small town sheriff. It was well appointed. I don't yeah, know if the maybe the bureau set bookcases. him up with that. Maybe that's job. what I was wondering too. Um, and it's interesting to sort of watch Arnold act. Yeah, he's like totally. some scenes. It's kind of like it works. Other scenes, it's not doing anything. Like in this scene, I noticed. I felt like he had the inflections down, but he was just doing nothing with his eyes. Right. Because well, he's probably sitting there just thinking so, so hard about the words he's got to say. Yeah. 
So he walks over to the stove. He surveys the mess there. Then he asks, what's for dinner? Which I feel like in my limited experience, I know that's a big mistake. Yeah, don't ever ask Don't come that. home to an upset wife and then ask her, well, what'd you make me for dinner? Unless the food's already made. <laughs> Unless you can smell something that's been cooking. So she says just this, the cake. Uh, she says, and then he says the cake's going to make us fat. He's ever conscientious an- about his diet. <laughs> Fucking that's a hell of a thing to say. To a pissed off wife, uh, plus the fact that she was tiny. Yeah. Yeah. Everything about the situation is supposed to be like, it's very American. He's asking for it. Yeah. Like he's, he deserves to be berated. Yeah. By agreed. Her. I agree. So she goes on this little mini rant saying like, you think just because we're in shape, we're not already fat. I like that. She recognizes the fact that she, I know I'm in shape. I know I take care of my temple. Uh, <laughs> you son of a bitch. She says, we're like the cows they raise around here. We're stuck. We're victims of circumstance. And you know what a cow's biggest contribution to the world is? She's like, she is deep in her feelings. Yeah. She holds up that cake, which has the word shit <laughs> iced across the top. Of Delicious. It. Awesome. Then she chucks the cake at him. He sort of dodges it. It splatters all over the cabinets. And then he says, you should not drink and bake. Oh, that is one of the most bizarre one-liners. Well, the whole scene is very, a very, very weird way to present some exposition and i wondered if like if they'd been thinking about ways to do it before where it was like much more serious where she developed like a real like alcohol problem you know and because this whole this whole definitely got depression issues going on but this whole thing comes across very comedically to me yeah it's like a honeymooners type shit yeah i don't know it's like the browbeaten husband or whatever yeah but it's it's also depressing. <laughs> yeah. But then, but, but then like the, the stuff that happens just after this, like after she's apparently passed out drunk on the couch, like, you know, we get that slow pan of the home exterior. I love the bench press with the gold gym sweatshirt. No, draped world, it was world gym. World, world, world it was like gym. the same shit he had in running man. Yeah, yeah, I think like that, that was the gym same. he owned in, um, in like Venice it's or like, something, California, but you get free, free product placement <laughs> advertisement for my gym. Um, <laughs> But she's like passed out on the couch and he's sitting there drinking some cognac, which we had earlier. Was yeah, awesome. we did. I learned today that, <laughs> right, that like a cognac is grape based. Yeah. I didn't know that. I thought it was yeah. grain for sure. Anyway, that's cool. To yeah. Me. So ba- like we're going to take the wine and make it more alcoholic. Mm. <laughs> How? They just ferment it again or, mm-hmm. well, or add they, more sugar they, or something? They take they take wine, however wine is made, just yeah. through fermentation. I think it's like a natural and then, fermentation. And then they take of. the leftover shit and distill that. Okay. So yeah. what is it, like the sludge or something in the bottom of the barrel or something? Yeah. Okay. I think that they, you take already fermented grapes and then you distill alcohol from that product. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. That's very cool. Yeah. I thought it was like they took the finished product of a white wine or something and then and if you're listening barrel to this, with more shit. That's awesome. And that's wrong. Fuck you. <laughs> also, thanks for listening. <laughs> but, but also, but also uh, shoot us an email or hit us up on Facebook uh, and let us know how that actually works. <laughs> yeah, he was chilling out. He was sipping on his cognac. He was listening yeah, to some more classical they were, music. They were listening to Mozart or something here, okay. or Gluck or something. I like that. I think Arnold as a man, as a human, that's what he's into. Yeah. It's like that European classical shit, especially Absolutely. the Germans and the Austrians. Yeah. Um, 
And he kind of tenderly like picks her up and carries her to the bedroom. Her it's, passed it's out a, ass. Yeah, it's very a sweet moment. He carries her and tucks her into bed. So later, the phone is ringing. It's Harry Shannon, the FBI agent, calling. Uh, Harry says he's got trouble. We need to talk. I uh, convince he's like, so talk. But Harry's like, I can't over the phone. Yeah, Harry sort of, he intimates that maybe he could get Kaminsky back in the FBI yeah, if you help like, me out. He, he ins- like, Kaminsky says when when Harry says, I can't talk over the phone, Kaminsky's like, that's all I've got time for. Yeah. And Harry's like, he then says something like, what, things not going great over there? Kaminsky's like, I've seen better days. And Harry's uh-huh. like, well, if you want to see the better days again, come meet me. Yeah, which is, is prescient because that dialogue pays off later in the right. film. Um, now we cut to Kaminsky's pulling up in front of the council on <laughs> children and family services building. Okay. Uh, that's where you can prominently see that he's got the North Carolina plates on the, okay. on the cruiser. Did not pick up um, on that. He enters the office marked marriage counseling. Thank God. It's clearly labeled on the door. What, how the fuck is this the meeting spot that Harry picked? Who knows? Now in there, they've got the, the TV and the VCR. Maybe, maybe it's supposed to be a dig. It's like, in America, the marriage counseling room is empty. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, it could be. Um, in that room, they've got the TV and the VCR set up. That was like that shit. Uh, it's like, could you run down to the tech room and get the TV and VCR when you're at elementary school? It was like that old public school shit. I loved running down to the tech room in elementary school to get the TV for the teacher. Man, anytime you walked in the classroom and that shit was in there, you knew you were about to watch lit, a movie. Lit. <laughs> I want to see, though, the marriage counseling tapes that they're, like, playing. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, uh, so Kaminsky says, you know, the Bureau always arranges such intriguing meeting places. Uh, yeah, like Harry's like, um, this has nothing to do with the Bureau, bud. Right, that's fishy as hell. He presses play on the VCR. Video! Video! <laughs> it's the tape of this gangster, Luigi Petrovita, mm-hmm. played by Sam Wanamaker. Uh, he's being questioned by prosecutors, like in a courtroom setting. Right. We've got this guy Baxter. Yeah, it's somebody that uh, Kaminsky recognizes immediately as Frank Fontana from <laughs> Murphy Brown. <laughs> <laughs> Baxter, he's asking this guy, like, how do you maintain such a lavish lifestyle on the $73,000 that you report to the IRS? Yeah, Luigi. He made a weird Ted Turner reference yeah. in there, too, which I guess Ted Turner was like the epitome of rich mm-hmm. at that time. Yeah, totally. Um, Kaminsky interrupts. He says, that that Baxter, he's the federal prosecutor who cost me my job. And then he says, <laughs> Yeah, we get some more exposition. Big, heavy handed. Uh, Shannon's telling him, You know, you brought in a suspect with half the bones in his body broken. And that's when Arnold, or <laughs> I say Arnold, he yeah. struggles through this line. I'm going to let you try to, like, You remember the case? The guy kidnapped an 11 year old girl. He molested, murdered, and mutilated her. <laughs> that's really Hell. good that is a brutal line to ask arnold to deliver yeah, you you made a great point before we started that is like clearly they didn't grab somebody like d'souza to come in and be like there's no way arnold can say this right line. where's d'souza Hell. when you need him am i saying that right so harry says well, the public wasn't too keen on heavy-handed cops at that time. Nothing's changed, That's Harry. a weird thing to say at that time. We used to be able to get away with anything. I feel like it was like a Reagan-era shit. Like, now we can rough these fuckers up. Like, you know, <laughs> it was another looking. time, wink, wink. Kaminsky. It's also weird for you to consider that 
him costing you your job. Right. He you, prosecuted me for my obvious crimes, the uh, jerk. Yeah. It's like some Tango and Cash shit going like, on. It sounds like he was a bad agent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so Kaminsky says, yeah, this guy Baxter, he told me I could be prosecuted or I could resign. Resign to be prosecuted any way you want it. That's a weird phrase. Okay. Any way you any want Any way it. you want it. Don't get it. Okay. okay. Uh, Harry tell, says that Baxter is giving this gangster, Patravita, a lot more trouble than he ever gave you. Harry fills us in, says Patravita, he runs the strongest uh, Chicago mafia family. Then he cues up the tape. He shows us Paula Rocca. Yeah, Sosa Rocca. from Scarface. Yeah, Sosa from Scarface at the same hearing. Uh, Roca says he'll take the Fifth Amendment on any question he's asked because he's an honest man and he shouldn't have to tolerate this type of harassment. Oh, okay. I feel like an honest man wouldn't need to plead the Fifth Correct. either. Correct. So Harry Shannon, he says that Roca is, is Patrovita's muscle. Right. So Kaminsky wants to know what is it that you want, Harry? Yeah, let's get down to brass tacks here in the Harry, marriage counseling office. Harry asks Kaminsky if you remember his, if you remember my son, Blaya. 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 I remember we used to go to ball games together. Right, right. You joined the FBI. How is he? Dead. Dead. Just cruel for not them. Not a finger. <laughs> it's cruel <laughs> for them not to have changed the name from Blair. Blaya. Blaya. Make it something easier for our man to pronounce. I love the fade out (laughs) followed by just fade right the fuck back in. For no reason, because they're in the same set, same Same room, same room, different angle. Some time has passed, I guess, 30 seconds later. (laughs) (laughs) Just enough, enough for Harry to have a good cry. Yeah. Harry is saying basically he wants Patrick to be dead. I want his family dead. I want his house burnt to the ground. Yeah, Kaminsky's like, did he kill Blair? Blair. He explains uh, that Blair was basically, he was killed protecting a witness that was set to testify against Patrovita. Right. All right. Kaminsky says that, you know, you wield so much more power as an FBI guy, I guess, a bureau man, than I do as a small town sheriff. You know, what do you want from me? Basically, Harry says this is nothing to do with the FBI. No, no, no. You got it all wrong. I'm financing this myself. <laughs> Fucking I, what? I've got, I've got $45,000 I'll pay you. This is a strange plot. This is some vigilante Wait, what? mercenary shit. Like, this is nowhere close to being legal. I'll give you $45,000 and the off Kill ch- the man who killed the, my and son. the off chance... That you might be allowed back in the FBI if you kill this mob boss. How would him taking payment to go what? do mercenary work, how would that get him back in the good graces it, of the Bureau? Maybe Harry can pull some fucking strings. I guess so. Or maybe the FBI is so corrupt that they're like, whoa, 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 you knocked him out? Nice. Welcome back. <laughs> so Good yeah. to see you again. Basically, he wants Kaminsky to sort of infiltrate that Patrovita organization and bust it up from the inside. Yeah, he wants a Donnie Brasco. Who do I look like? Dirty Harry? Uh, okay. What? Okay. He's trying so hard to look like he's deep in thought during yeah. this sequence, too. Yeah. Like he's got his hands crossed. <laughs> like, um, oh, so, Arnie. Harry says, you know, you could work on, I'll work on getting you reinstated to the FBI if you do this. Kaminsky asks how. Harry explains that, you know, FBI has been trying to get an undercover agent in this group for years. There's a leak somewhere. Our guys keep getting nailed, which is unclear. Does that mean they're like getting killed? Yeah, they're getting whacked. Shit. Heavy. Should have said whacked. 
So his plan is basically that no one but me is going to know about this. Perfect. And if you do a good job, I think there's a great shot I could get you back in the FBI. <laughs> I wish he'd actually. And he's sort of like <laughs> the dad from Christmas Story does like sort of basically like, what do you say? It looks pretty good. Sounds like a great plan. <laughs> How the fuck would that work? I'm just so puzzled it's by it. It's a major it. award. <laughs> Kaminsky's on board, though. He's positively giddy at the prospect. He's, like, grinning and I'll nodding. I'll kill like, as many guys as I need to kill to get back in the FBI. So my wife won't nag me anymore. It's like I killed my way into this trouble, and I'm going to kill my way out of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, cut to, it's nighttime, at the Irvin International Oil Company. Hint, hint, that's the director's name. It's kind of oh, like a little thing, whatever. Okay. There's, we got like big tankers and... and Random stacks of oil yeah. drums. Like big 55-gallon drums. This shit's about to get weird. Kaminsky pulls up to the gate in his police cruiser. He's wearing denim on denim on denim. Like yeah, triple denim. Dude, it's that Canadian tuxedo. Yeah, But it's like, is denim on denim his uniform? That's all we see him wearing when he's on the job. He, he was wearing full police... Like to sheriff's meet, outfit to meet Shannon. Yeah. It's just weird. Before he was wearing whatever the hell he wanted to. <laughs> I don't so get it either. He takes the bolt cutters out and he cuts the lock on the gate. Clearly on Re- the up and up here. Remember that. There are signs all over this basically saying the plan is shut down. So I guess we're assuming it's abandoned. Um, the lights, I mean, the fucking place is lit up like Christmas out there. Yeah, there's though. some cars parked there too. There are cars Ma- in the parking Maybe that's lot. like security that drive around the facility during when it is open. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but Kaminsky, he radios back. He says he's going to investigate a break in at the plant. Right. He parks his car next to these huge tanks marked naphtha. Yeah. I looked that up. It is a, like a, a chemical, right? Flammable liquid hydrocarbon mixture. Lots of things you see naphtha have been produced from natural gas condensate petroleum distillate so it is a thing you might expect to see at a facility like this right but it's not necessarily it's not one thing it could be one it's called naphtha but it's a different kind Ah. of a mixture and if this sounds like i'm reading from the internet it's because i am (laughs) um but basically the long and short of it is that it's it's flammable uh, it's yeah it's made from like it's made from natural gas hydrocarbons and it's flammable as fuck so uh Kaminsky turns a valve and some brown sort of liquid starts Wood. flowing. That's why the plant's fucking shut down is because you could just turn a valve and like the shit just comes out. I'm thinking like, yeah, if this place is shut down, wouldn't these, shouldn't these tanks be empty? Yeah. I mean, you and, couldn't just turn it on and it pour on the ground. Not a mass <laughs> and not massive stacks of oil drums that are full of shit. There would be fail safes in place that to keep that kind of shit from happening. Now he disappears behind the tanker. And reappears on a motorcycle that he had stashed back there. Why? And rolls out. Like, how did that bike get back there? He planted it, right? Yeah. So he he planted it, and then he put a padlock on the gate that he did not have the key for. Um, so that he had to come back later and with bolt cutters. And, and, and yeah, and implicate himself. He someone broke cut, in. You think he broke in once to plant the bike, then put a new lock on it. Left, came back again and cut another lock. Well, just so there's weird. a reason there's a reason that Kaminsky's no longer with the bureau <laughs> and maybe it's because he's not good at I love the thought of that, that he like left and he's locked. like oh I can't believe I already brought the chain I lost the key <laughs> maybe it, that's a great point is that he 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 broke the first chain and it was like <laughs> fuck 
what if securities and so he brought another chain and put it back on there has to be a broken lock here <laughs> i don't know i don't know oh my god but he stops man he shoots a flare gun at that a flare gun <laughs> I wish he'd done another another cigar, but no, it's a fucking flare. Like, what aim with the flare gun? At first, yeah. I was like, what is that? What does he even have? I thought he had a detonator or something, but a flare gun. <laughs> what the fuck? Man, the place goes sky high. Huge explosion. It was like mm-hmm. rivaling uh, Road Warrior. Yeah, I was impressed and... I'm a sucker for like some people riding in cars and motorcycles out silhouette of, uh, out yes out of a fireball <laughs> amazing. amazing and who among us hasn't dreamed of faking our death to escape our marriage <laughs> 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 It's unclear why this was necessary oh my god yeah to, like this is a very elaborate and causing millions untold millions of property damage yeah, just to disappear. It's not. I guess. I, I guess it's because the prosecutor knows who he is. He but, needs to be but when dead. He, but, when he, but when he resurfaces, it's like it's not like the prosecutor's not going to be like, "Oh yeah, I recognize you. I put you away before." You're or the I, six foot two, two hundred and fifty pound Mister Olympia. How did how did Shannon think it was going to be a good idea to get the guy that the prosecutor Baxter forced to resign? as his operative for the case to go back in and kill everyone. And you think, feel like this would make news also. Yeah. Like F just sheriff dies in huge explosion. Yeah. Former uh, FBI agent turned local sheriff. <laughs> Kaminsky. That's blown a, sky high. That is a hell of a first act. It was, well, I gotta say, I was not bored at all. <laughs> no. Not for a moment. It's There's lean. Nothing it's mean. boring about no, it. No. That's for sure. I am in. I am on board. I at am this too. Point. And you and you were asking like, how does it? You know, how is it for someone that was, you know, relatively inexperienced, you know, with the movie? And I got, yeah. Uh, you, know, you love Arnold first and foremost. Also, we have a, uh, you know, we we were conditioned in a way to love these movies the way that we do. Uh-huh. And so I was like, I was watching it. I was like, yeah, I'm willing to forgive the warts, the chips in the paint, whatever. Well, Just, you said they all feel so familiar, even if you haven't do. seen them. They do. It's like it feels 100% familiar and you're willing to forgive a lot because you know it's going to be fun. It's uh-huh. like, it's just going to be fun. It's gonna and that's be, all it is. That's what we're here for. So watch shit blow up and watch people get shot up and punched out. Fake their deaths and whatever. <laughs> Oh man. Um but yeah, that's a jam-packed opening episode is. for this series. So we'll uh we'll be back next week. Hope you've wet your whistle and be <laughs> back with us next time. Yeah, we'll be back with a lot more on Raw Deal. Once upon-